I don't want to be critical of the church, but I think we really need to look at where we are. There's a statistic out there that says the majority of the people that have not heard the gospel lives in the 1040 window. And out of all the Christian giving that's given in the name of Christianity, less than 1.25% goes to that window. So my question is, do we have on our hearts what's on God's heart? At guard 6-2, don't know how much he weighs now, Quentin Lytle <laughs> from Western Carolina. Welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. Quentin, good to see you, my friend. Thank you, Byron. It's good to see you, too. <laughs> Hadn't seen you in a while. We'll see you passing by time to time, but it's always good to see you, man. Appreciate what you do. So an average of 13 points a game in your career at Western Carolina. Yes, I really didn't get going uh, until my junior year and did well that year. And then did pretty well my senior year, but that brought my numbers down. But I was able to become All-American Humble Mention. And that's in light of trying to figure out what life was about and coming to know Christ right after that career. So it was a career that was fun on the basketball court, but off the court it wasn't so much fun. You grew up in Shelby, North Carolina. Yes. So tell me about life there in Shelby. Brian, you know everything about me. <laughs> tell me where I grew up and all of that. <laughs> yes, I uh, grew up in Shelby, North Carolina. Most people don't know it. You probably know, but it's the home of David Thompson. And that's who I idolized and wanted to be like. And his mother was actually a janitor in my high school and told me that I reminded her of her son. So um, played basketball there and two-parent home, stepdad there and didn't know Christ. And uh, my life was full of pains and, and disappointments. Like so many people, I played basketball, and that was kind of my sanctuary. Played basketball through high school. Didn't know if I was good enough to play anywhere else or, or get a scholarship. And so one day somebody came to my house, knocked on my door, and said, you know, you've been selected as a McDonald's All-American, honorable mention. I was like, so does that mean I get a Big Mac and a fry? He's <laughs> like, no, you, you've been chosen as one of the top players in the country. So That was an honor. Yes, yes, it was. Yes, it was. So how much time did you spend in Shelby? I um, actually was born in Spartanburg, South Carolina, moved to Gastonia, North Carolina, James Worthy is from. Stayed there until, let's see, second or third grade through the sixth grade. And in the sixth grade, I moved to Shelby and uh, just grew up there. Uh, finished college and after college, uh, stayed there for a few years until the Lord relocated me to Memphis. Of course, here in Memphis, you've worked with several ministries, including GIF, I think Bellevue Baptist Church, uh, Youth for Christ. Yes, uh, I moved here to Memphis to play basketball for a team called Spirit Express, which is a, a basketball team, a Christian basketball team composed of Christian athletes and use uh, the uh, basketball platform to share the gospel. And then while here, the Memphis Rockers, the WBL, came to town, and, and I was not seeking them, and they saw I was a decent player, and they asked me to play, and it wasn't for basketball. I had a chance to lead several guys to the Lord, one of them, John Starks, that played for the New York Knicks. So that was the bigger picture. And so I did that. And then from that point, moved into ministry with Youth for Christ and stayed there a few years. That's where I met Soup Campbell. Kirk Kilpatrick began to grow because I was going to move to Dallas. Met with Dr. Rogers, and he said, you know, you can go out there and serve the Lord, but we need people here serving the Lord, too. So I decided to stay here. So I, Youth for Christ, I left there, went to uh, GIF and then to the neighborhood school, and then to Bellevue. And people look at my resume, and they say, that's not good. Well, sometimes God has reason for doing those things, you know, and I can see now why he had me to go through all those ministries based on what I'm doing now. 
Well, if you look at my resume, when I first got married, many mm-hmm. jobs I had in the first three years of marriage, you know, you wonder, what is this guy doing? Where is he going? You know, I like what you said a minute ago about the big picture, because sometimes when we're navigating life, we see where we are in the circumstances, whether it be talking about multiple jobs or things that are happening. We say, where am I going wrong? But sometimes those are steps to the bigger picture of what God is doing in our life. Yes, in God's eyes, there's one plan, but we can call it, uh, from our human perspective, plan A, B, C, or destination. So you go from destination A to B, and God wants you to learn something as you go, and he wants you to minister wherever you are. And so I can see the big picture for me coming to downline. I was in so many ministries and part of different churches, and so I saw that the need for discipleship. I saw some people sharing the gospel and counting the numbers, which is fine, salvations. And then I saw people who were totally engaged in ministry and just built relationships, but never got around to sharing the gospel. And each one of those entities needed to know how to make disciples. And so now it's like, it's big picture. I know what's needed. And so that's kind of... So it's perfect for your role now as the Director of Church and Ministry Relations at Downline. Yes. So I'm able to talk to all churches, but I focus on the uh, African-American churches, the minority churches, some Chinese, some African, Asian, because what Downline is called to do is to strengthen discipleship in the local church. And so I'm able to recruit from those churches. And as I interview people, I've been Christians for a long time. Uh, a lot of them have. And they'll say, Quentin, I've been a Christian you know, 5, 10, 15 years. And you know what? I can do a Bible study from Matthew or Second Timothy or First Corinthians, but if you ask me how my Bible is put together from Genesis to Revelation, maps and all, no clue. And so I want to learn my Bible. And so now I get to engage with those people. And I, I love what I do. I absolutely love what I do. I can't think of anything better than getting the Bible into the hands of believers, equipping them with the Word of God to send them back to their churches, to undergird their pastors, to make disciples for Christ. Quentin, what did you love first about Carla when you met her. <laughs> okay, here we go. Yes, yes, yes. I love my life. So um, I first met Carla. She was a very beautiful woman, outside and inside. She didn't know Christ. She was Catholic. And she was trying to use her good works to get her to heaven. She was a candy striper, and you know she prayed the Holy Rosary, and she did all those things. But she didn't know Christ. And so I was, on the other hand, a Baptist who was out in the street raising you-know-what, trying to figure out life. But when I saw I was attracted to her because I thought, this is a different girl, and she can change my life. And so I, I was in competition with the football players, the basketball you players. You had to get in line. And, 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 yes. <laughs> I tried to jump to the front of the line. And professors uh, that wanted to date. And so but I always tell people about my wife. Her mother was German, and her dad was black, so that makes her my German chocolate cake. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that. Of course, eight children God has blessed you with, which is part of the beautiful story of the Lytle family, I believe. Some raise an eyebrow when you say, you got eight children. My uh, daughter-in-law has a sister, and we were at their house last night. Her sister has five children and just got confirmed report that she's going to have twins. So she's about to have seven children. Wow! So children are a good thing. Children are a blessing from the Lord. And um I was at a gas station one day, and the guy, we got to talk, and I started sharing with him, and somehow kids came up, and I told him I had eight children. He said, why do you do that? He said, we used to do that years ago, but in this generation, you don't have eight children. I said, has God changed from yesterday to the day? He said, no. I said, well, we can have eight children then. 
But uh, our children are a blessing, and uh, people, they'll look at my wife, and they'll kind of feel sorry for her and look at me and look at her, and they'll say, well, why did you do that to your wife? I said, look, I wanted four. My wife wanted ten, so I met <laughs> over halfway. <laughs> I love that. What have you, Quentin, and Carla learned about family? Uh, family is one of the first institutions, if not the first institution that God created. It takes God to keep a family together, and we've gotten away from that in our culture. If you look at any great culture in the world, it was never destroyed from the outside in. It was always destroyed from the inside out. Whenever the family, the institution was destroyed, then look out because that, that country is not far behind. What have you learned about the role of fatherhood? tell you, when you have children, you learn more about what God, how God feels about you and what he's trying to teach you. And so with my children, uh, it's, it's been a snapshot of how God loves me. And there are times when I tried to raise my children to be moralist, when uh, I tried to get them to obey rules more than in into a personal relationship with Christ. And part of that was because my identity, I said it was in Christ, but I was concerned of what people would think about me and I tried to be the best dad I could be and some of my kids just struggle with different things in life and I'm like that was a reflection of me so uh but what the Lord has taught me is that grace triumphs judgment if I'm an heir I'm an heir on the side of grace and so a lot of people know what's wrong and so as I deal with my children I want to be a father that was loving but yet tell them what was right if they couldn't receive it at that point I want to still try to love them to show that I love them I think God does us that way. His mercies are new every morning. Oh, brother, what a lesson for parents, and for dads especially. Scripture tells fathers don't embitter your children. So that's kind of a balance act oftentimes when you see your children making poor decisions, and you kind of want to put them in a, a moral closet, like you said, but learning how to live life in a relationship. And I guess that really reflects back on knowing that your relationship as a dad with Christ, that you are walking in fellowship and relationship with him, not as a list of do's and don'ts, but as a beloved child of his. That's so important. Christ called us to make disciples, starting with our own families. We just need to get back. I think a stat shows that uh, young children today are looking more for relationships than anything. They have a great desire to know spiritual things. We kind of missed the boat a little bit when we started uh, allowing churches, youth pastors, to try to ultimately disciple our kids when that's our responsibility. And I'm not against youth pastors or whatever, but it's our responsibility. And you can learn a lot about your child. And so I remember praying for my children. My wife and I, we would pray for them before they were born, while they were in the womb, and when they came out. And then things happen. Things don't turn out the way I want them to. I'm like, Lord, I pray to your thing. I don't know what to pray. And said, okay, you just sit and be quiet and listen to me. Come to me. But sit and be, be quiet because I know exactly where their hearts are, and I'll show you, and I'll tell you what I want you to tell them or give them at the right time. That's great advice there, Quinn. So good. Well, I know it gets busy in a home of eight. And of course, your children, uh, for the most, how many are living at home now? I actually have one living at home, but two. One is at college, and one of my older children is back for a minute. But For all practical purposes, they're out of the nest. Yes, they're out of the nest, yes. So what have you and Carla done to keep the communication lines open between you two. What steps have you taken as a couple to stay fresh through the many years of marriage that you've had? I mean, what are you doing? Make sure you guys stay connected. Right, right. Because you can get busy in life. You can build your life all about your kids. Whether you've got one child or you've got 12 children, in your case, eight, you can spend so much time that where you lose that connection with your spouse. Well, first, I think we have to establish that there are different seasons in life. And that one season when you're raising children is 
there's going to be times where you're not going to have time for each other. And especially if you have a big family, we have eight children and we homeschool our children for the most part and then put them in school uh, later on at ECS and then they end up going to college. And that time we had, I think we had five playing college ball at one time. And so we were trying to make all the games and support them. And so you get busy. And then when they're gone, you find yourself not having to do all those things. And then on top of that, my wife, who worked part-time and took care of our children, she enters into the business world, and she starts working as a manager. And then she's gone a whole lot. And I'm like, okay. So we're in that season right now, and we're still trying to figure that out. I will say this. I don't care how busy you are. You need to make time for each other just to get away. And I didn't do that very well. I mean, we were so involved in our children that uh, I had an opportunity to do that. Kept saying I was going to do it. And the next thing I knew, my kids were grown. I hadn't done it. And so we're definitely trying to make up that time now and take trips together and and do seminars and that kind of thing. So it's certainly a different season, different chapter. You mentioned that uh, the late Adrian Rogers gave you some advice about your career at one time. And in your bio states that he discipled you. Talk about some of those personal encounters you had with Adrian Rogers. Yeah, so he really didn't disciple me like one-on-one, kind of like, I mean, I know you remember Ken Witten, how he really poured into Ken Witten, but i tell you what he did. He made time for me, and so I remember meeting him several times. I was trying to find a good church when I came to Memphis, and I'd gone to several different churches, and my wife was listening to Dr. Rogers on TV, and she said, Quentin, you need to come listen to this guy. Something's different about him, and I said, well, He's probably got a white church taking everybody's money. Really don't want that. And so I sat down. I started listening to him. I'm like, wow, this is incredible. The Holy Spirit is is guiding me here. And so then I got to meet him. The first time that I met him, he just said, I apologize for the way my people treat your people. And I was like, wow, that's the first thing he said. And I said, well, I apologize for my people not forgiving and willing to move on in Christ. And so we had that mutual understanding of of each other. And so he just told me anytime I ever needed him for anything, I could call him. I I did that on several occasions and we prayed together and went to ball games together and he just was there. And then I heard a story that kind of really made me see the kind of man that he was. They told me about a lady who came to join the church at Bellevue when he first got there. She was an African-American lady and she prayed to receive Christ. Some of the people at the church didn't want her there. And Dr. Rogers, I think he said, waited until the next Sunday. And they said, he told the congregation, you know, if that lady who prayed to receive Christ is not welcome here, then I'm not welcome here. You have to get yourself a new pastor. That is such a powerful statement from a powerful man of God. Right. I'm thankful, too, for the personal relationship I had one-on-one times, like you're sharing. Amen. Not that he discipled me personally, but I I had a chance to spend some time in his home and around him and knew that what he was in the pulpit, he was the same at home in his uh, private life, too. Uh, Well, as we talk about this title role you have with a ministry and church relations with Downline. You do work hand-in-hand in the city with some 20 churches and maybe 15 ministries. Could be more than that. Quentin, where's the barometer of the church's role you see carrying out Christ's command to make disciples? Well, I don't want to be critical of the church, but I think we really need to look at where we are There's a statistic out there that says the majority of the people that have not heard the gospel lives in the 1040 window. And out of all the Christian giving that's given in the name of Christianity, less than 1.25% goes to that window. So my question is, do we have on our hearts what's on God's heart? Not sure about that. And then the other thing, and I'm not against big churches, small churches, whatever, but when we 
are putting so much money in brick and mortar. I'm not sure that's what Christ wants us to do. I think we need to be focused more on discipleship, and that's why I'm excited because 10 years ago when we started, you know, Ken and Vaughn is the one that started Downline Ministries. Soup discipled him, and he went around to 10 different churches or whatever and asked him about discipleship, told him what happened to him, asked him if that was discipleship, if that biblical. And they said yes, and he said, how are you doing it? We said, we're not doing well. And so they checked off, this is what we want to do. And so I'm excited that we get to give them the tools to carry out the Great Commission because it's the thing that Jesus told us to do when he left. And yet, I'm going to go with a low number, but 70% of Christians do not even know what the Great Commission is. So I'm saying, we've been in church a long time, how can that be? So we need to get back to the basics of making disciples. I'm excited that we can do that. And because of COVID, Satan meant it for bad, but now we're on seven continents. Imagine being in a remote country somewhere where somebody's come to know Christ, they get to hear the whole Bible. Uh, everybody's not called a seminary, but a lot of Christians can do nine months of biblical training. Is there a danger with a ministry like Downline for someone entering a class thinking a closer walk with God is gaining more Bible knowledge and they miss that relationship factor? Yes. Because there has got to be a balance, right? Yes. Let me say it this way. A map is not the territory and a menu is not the meal. If we don't want to rob ourselves of an unadulterated relationship union with God. We cannot elevate the message over the messenger. And I think we've put too much emphasis. You hear it all the time. People in Bible study after Bible study after Bible study, and there's no transformation. Well, we have to really examine what we're being taught or We're going through the Word, but it's the Word of God going through us because there is a danger. And I think if you look back at Israel in the Old Testament, they suffered the same thing. I'm reading the book of Ezekiel, and it talked about what the guardians of the temple did, and they were worshiping other gods in the temple. And then you look at the New Testament, and apostate Israel did the same thing, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and it was reckless, but God still had this remnant everywhere. And so I just don't want the church to be slipping into that movement of having all the knowledge, but the relationship is void. That's very important. And I think and the one thing is encouraging but discouraging is what's discouraging about Memphis is to have so many churches. Um, that's discouraging to me and to see such division in our city. But what's encouraging to me is to see that people are willing to change. And they're saying, look, we got to change something here. We have to let our walk match our talk. And so as we read the Word of God, it has to be fleshed out. And it has to look the same on some levels. Yes. Not all levels. On some levels, it has to look the same. Even where the Word says they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another, we sometimes are so busy splitting theological hairs. See, and that, that's the thing. And so going back down the line, but what we do, we teach the essentials. And the non-essentials, we can talk about those, and we can differ on those. I tell people my eschatology is changing. But the essential of that is we both got to believe that Jesus Christ is coming back. Yes. And so we have to understand the difference and be able to hold hands, lock arms, and go wherever God's calling us to go to show the world that we love the same God. Quentin, in the fall of 1918, the Spanish influenza raged around the world. It infected around a third of the world's population and killed about 50 million people. In Cleveland County, North Carolina, Hester Green McSwain was helpless 
in the face of the deadly flu. The Shelby family had been quarantined in their home as they tried to avoid contracting the illness, but they were not among the more fortunate. As the streets of Shelby were sprayed with disinfectants and its meals, churches, and schools closed down, Hester McSwain watches one by one her children sicken before her eyes. On Monday, October 21st, 1918, Novella, Ambrose, Marvin, and Lucy all died. On October 23rd, her son Wentz followed. A day later, the 47-year-old mother joined her children. Four of her children died and were buried in the same grave, according to the documents of the Cleveland Times. On October 25, 1918, her fifth child, a boy eight years old named Wentz, died. Her husband, Plato Floyd McSwain, was left grieving as a widower with seven living children to raise. So no wife and had lost a portion of his children. More than 600,000 people in the U.S. died what was called the Spanish Influenza seemed to be particularly strong among younger adults. I found that story as I was looking at Shelby, the town you grew up in, and I was just thinking about lives impacted by the uncertainties of life. And, and I, I share the story, Quentin, as a reflection of life. You know, the plagues, sorrows, and suffering are the result of an illness of our souls. You and I know what that illness is. It's sin mm. against the holy God. Mm. And we're living a hundred plus years later, in uncertain times, COVID, political and social unrest. Someone I heard say, doesn't matter how deep the waters were when Noah was in the boat, as long as he was in the boat. Mm. And similarly, as long as we're in Christ, it doesn't matter how deep the waters go. Amen. But there are those who are perishing. Right. And we have a story to tell. What are your thoughts? Well, the Bible says in Hebrews 5.12, I think it is, that Christ learned obedience through suffering. And so some people have the idea that when you become a Christian, there's no more suffering. As I shared this morning, I did a Bible study this morning, and I shared how God called Ezekiel into ministry when he was a young man. And he was a prophet and a priest. And at some point, God told Ezekiel, I'm going to take your wife. Ezekiel loved his wife. And say, Ezekiel, when I take your wife, I don't want you shedding tears. It's a picture of the way I feel about Jerusalem and her sin. I think, Byron, if we keep focused on Christ in all of this, God has a plan. What Satan can mean it for evil, God is meant it for good. And with the whole COVID thing, I know we've lost loved ones, and that's been difficult. But I think we just need to keep trusting Christ. And for those that don't know Christ, it's going to be an opportunity to share with them the right time, the right way, how this life doesn't matter. It matters a little bit, but there's a greater life to come. There's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more crying. And so in that process, God still has his plan. He's still on the throne. And let's stay about God's business. And let's take this COVID thing that we're going through. And let's see how God is going to use it in our lives. And it's not over yet. But in the meantime, the Word of God is still going. I was sharing with um, a lady. My wife and I were watching my daughter play, and we were in Lynchburg, and we were sharing with this lady. She was talking about the difficulties of it and how hard it was, and the lady just broke down, and she gave her life to Christ. And she said, life has been so hard. She said, but I know God loves me still on the throne. And now you're telling me I can have a personal relationship with him. And she was so excited. And she was the, <laughs> she was the owner of this restaurant. And she said, okay, so I've prayed to receive Christ. She said, but what if bad things happen to me? Now that I prayed to receive Christ, I said, no, your trouble has just started. Bad things are going to happen. 
but God is going to give you a way out. She says, so now you and your wife, y'all came in here and talked to me about Jesus. Uh, is that what y'all do all the time in different places? Yes, we do. We we love the Lord. He saved us. We have to share. He said, but what if people get mad with you and start arguing with you? I said, I'm not going to argue. I'm going to ask for their perspective. I'm going to give them my perspective from the word of God. And let God, it's God's job to bring the increase. So it's an opportunity that we have, and we don't want to get away. We can use this to bring us together, to unite us. Quentin, well spoken, my friend. If somebody wants to know more about engaging Downline and wants to get involved in one of the ministries, what's the best way to do that? I'm glad you asked that, Byron. Um, We usually have about 200 people that go through the program every year, and then we have 40 emerging leaders that come from across the country and around the world. We have eight to 10 houses they live in to teach them how to carry out their faith. And um, But because of COVID, we've had to cut back. Now we're 90 in class, but online, we have approximately 125 people online. And this is what's so incredible, Byron. We had one of our members, one of our people to go through downline, and it's changed his life so much that he said, anybody that wants to go through downline, don't let money be an issue. I'll take care of it. That's in the whole world. We're on seven continents now. (laughs) And so Everybody can hear the gospel and, and learn, understand the Bible, make disciples for Christ, the glory to God. And so if you want to hear about downline, want to get involved, on April the 6th, we're having a vision dinner. And so Ken and Vaughn will be telling uh, about what we do and, and give you a feel for it. First hour and then the second hour, we'll be hearing from Crawford Loritz. <laughs> yes, Crawford. yes, I do too. I do too. <laughs> so he's going to be sharing the second hour, I think, from Second Timothy. But all you have to do is go to downlineministries.com forward slash vision dinner. We will connect you virtually and you get to come in. So we, we will have people from all over the world on April the 6th listening to Downline. And I, I keep saying Downline, it's just a vehicle that God has used yes. to get his word out to his people that he care about so we can fall in love with him, love God, and love people. Oh, praise God. Quentin Lido, my dear brother, thank you for what you continue to do for Christ's kingdom. Thanks for coming and sharing your heart with us today. Well, Byron, thank you for what you do too, brother. I appreciate you every time I see you and the work that you do and your family. I appreciate you so very much. Thank you, my friend. Well, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. I do appreciate you stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. The program you just heard is available at BotRadioNetwork.com or on your favorite podcast platform like iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Stitcher. If you have suggestions for upcoming episodes, please email btyler at BotRadioNetwork.com. 